Welcome to Beers, Business, and Balls, presented by House Enterprise and brought to you by Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com, use the code HOUSE. You can get 20% off your order and free shipping. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. It's episode 106. Uh, lots going on. Football in the heat of it. We'll come back and make some picks after our interview today. But the talk of the town, we have actually not done this on this show because there hasn't been one yet. Uh, it is World Cup season. And it kicked off on Sunday uh, with a dog shit game, but the games are starting to heat up. This is some good stuff and cool guest to tell us all about it too. Yes, we have Michael Parkhurst, a Rhode Island and MLS football legend, joins the show to talk about Rhode Island FC, the new team that the USL, you might've remembered we had Brett Johnson, one of the founders way back when an early, early BBB pod episode so michael joins on to tell us about that talks about his career and of course previews the world cup and yeah we had one of the first games already uh already dropped for the world cup and it was england kicking in the teeth of iran six to two does not make team usa's uh journey out of this group stage any easier we have wales today when you're hearing this episode and of course england on friday so uh we were just looking wow, at i didn't the, realize uh, that england rinsed iran like that too I, I was actually referring to ecuador and qatar because qatar's goalie was so awful um wow england well, the, that wasn't the, even close yeah the qatar game was interesting because there was speculation that there was some bribery going on that they wanted to throw the game to have i think it was qatar win one nothing i think that was like that needs to be the exact score I mean, my thought process behind that is everyone, like once that was released, everyone was hammering money on Qatar one nothing that the books automatically won so much because of that. So <laughs> some some risky inside business with uh with the World Cup, but to say the least, we're excited to have Michael on and excited to uh talk about his career and and to preview what Team USA can do to make it out of the group stage. Before we dive into michael did you watch fifa uncovered yet i have not it's on my list for this week it is an excellent documentary um i i think we were kind of just like uh, well we were in high school when all this was going on when Seth bladder uh was exiled from fifa basically but it runs deep-seated in fifa which is so interesting and it has direct implications on qatar too and how they got the bid very is, corrupt, very corrupt yeah. organization. Shady stuff. Like they, a lot of the charges that FIFA got rung with, and they say this multiple times throughout the show, were reminiscent of um, like what they would charge mafia leaders with, like racketeering and wire fraud and all this crazy stuff. Shady. shady Makes stuff. sense, yeah. But away from the shadiness, we're very excited. Um to have Michael Parker on again, uh, well, part of the ownership group of Rhode Island FC just dropped uh, last week. Go to RhodeIslandFC.com and you can get uh, all the info you need. You can make a season ticket deposit for just 24 bucks. Uh, a lot of cool merch up there as well. So let's bring him in. Uh, one of the most poised and what the MLS calls the most cerebral defenders of all time uh, in Major League Soccer. Michael Parker joins the show. Let's do it.
All right, everybody, with this this week, we got a very special guest for the Rhode Island community. And it's very fitting because the World Cup is around the corner and soccer is in all of the news as it should be. But we have Michael Parkhurst, a Rhode Island local, former MLS Rookie of the Year and champion, U.S. men's national team member, and now part of the ownership group of Rhode Island FC. Michael, welcome to the podcast. And how's everything going? Hey, guys, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Everything is great. What a week it's been. It's been a great week. I mean, that we were just saying off uh, before we started recording, the launch went successful. The buzz is around Rhode Island and people are starting to take notice. So let's start up with your roots. I mean, you grew up in Rhode Island, went to school in Florida and then Wake Forest. And then you became, you know, I'm going to say it humbly, but one of the great for the MLS. Uh, Six-time All-Star, Humanitarian of the Year, Defender of the Year, Rookie of the Year, and Captain Atlanta FC uh, for the MLS Cup victory in 2018. So is there a moment or accolade that stands out to you that just, you know, I see you have a ball in the back corner, but is there something that you look at that makes you smile when you think about these uh, list of awards? Man, yeah, the game of soccer has been really, really good to me. Um, you know, I think a couple things. One, I think of all the relationships I've made uh, in the game, none stronger than um, the ones I made at Bayside United um, in Rhode Island. I was playing with eight, nine, 10, all the way through 13 years old with those guys who, um, I'm, those are still my best buddies today. Um, and then, you know, I think on the field, um, uh, professionally, I think to, um, you know, being able to play locally, um, in front of my parents and, and family, um, and friends. And then I think of, uh, the Olympics. I think the Olympics was one of the biggest, uh, events that I was able to be a part of. It was a unbelievable experience, uh, which I think just best uh, playing in the UEFA Champions League. And then there's, I mean, just coming through your resume here as well, you've got a lot of different league experience too, obviously the state side with the MLS, um, but then abroad with the Danish Superliga and then uh, obviously the powerhouse that is the uh, German Bundesliga as well. Um, obviously those are two different team environments, right? Different guys around you, different formations, different coaching styles, but was there a glaring difference between just maybe it was culturally, maybe it was the style of play um, with, with going abroad and even hopping around over there as well? Yeah, well, I think, you know, there, there's a few things. One, uh, I jumped right into a relegation battle in Denmark uh, as soon as I moved over there, which is, um, you know, not common here in the U.S. Um, so that was a, a big, big uh, step. And you, you've never played with real pressure until you're facing relegation mm -hmm. for a bunch of games. That is that is legit pressure. Um, so that that was um, jaw dropping for me. Um, but, you know, I think that you just get a sense of like how ingrained it is to into society over there it's in every newspaper and they're giving rankings and starting lineups and this and that and dissecting everything and you know I, I was fortunate where I, I wasn't that crazy but I know that other guys that I've played with before have been like you know if, if you lose you, you just didn't go out for a few days because you didn't want to see anybody you didn't want to be harassed and that type of thing and um you know over here you still have that uh, anonymity a little bit when you go out um you know especially as soccer players we just look like any other joe joe out there on the in in, in society so um you know but th those differences uh it's probably what stood out the most about playing over there in Europe. 
So while there were a bunch of guys that looked like average Joes, there were a lot of good players you played with over your career. Are there a few that stand out that maybe were a mentor for you or uh, maybe they helped you grow your game? Uh, what were some of those teammates that you remember? Yeah, I was very, very fortunate when I when I went into the locker room in New England. I had a lot of veteran players, um, really, really good teammates. Uh, Matt Reese, um, a, a revolution legend. Uh, Shalry Joseph, we had a very good relationship. He's one of the best players I've ever played with. Uh, and Steve Ralston and Jay Heaps. And, you know, Jay Heaps is now in USL as a president down in Birmingham. And uh, he's somebody I still look to as a mentor because I had conversations with him about our president hire, about what USL um, ownership is like and, um, you know, all different things. Um, so, you know, definitely some good bonds created and some good uh, mentors for me when I was a young, a young aspiring professional. And you were talking about when, while you're in Europe, you had to deal with that relegation battle. Um, with the MLS growing in the United States, as well as just soccer as a whole, I mean, USL, MLS Next Pro, do you ever envision that there could be some type of relegation in the United States? Or is that kind of just too complicated with the system that's being built? I think there's a, a pathway to it in USL. Um, I think it's it's been spoken about and the idea has been tossed around. And we, as an ownership group in Rhode Island, are very passionate about ProRail and would definitely be one of the supporters um, if those conversations took place uh, seriously. And I think they will, um, maybe leading into 26 uh, World Cup um, or thereafter, shortly thereafter. So, um, you know, I think that that's something that would increase ratings, would set us even further apart from MLS. Because I don't, in my personal opinion, I don't think it's it's likely in MLS, not when owners are paying $400 million for a franchise fee. Um, it's just not going to happen, I don't think. Um, maybe if they do something with Mexico, but... Um, you know, I think there's a legitimate pathway in in USL for us to have a pro rel, and we would be um, at the forefront of the of the top league. And I think that um, you know we would be excited about that because you know there's extra emphasis on being one of the top teams, which means putting more finances in, getting better players, and then pushing the league higher and higher. I think we debate this quite a bit too, and maybe this is something we'll come back to with the the juncture of Rhode Island FC as well, but, you know, of growing soccer in America, right, of growing the sport at the MLS level and then other levels too. Um, seems like, I think something tells me you guys have a good answer for how to, to grow the sport for sure uh, stateside here, but we'll come back to it um, and we'll transition to the World Cup as well. Um, exciting times coming up. You... Um, you know, you've been at that sort of U.S. men's national team level before, a uh, two-time Gold Cup winner and Olympian for Team USA. Uh, you understand that that short prep and, and grind before the global tournament. So you play a part for so long. You play in your clubs. Some are in the U.S., some are in Europe, some are elsewhere. And then you come back and, and you're all sort of representing the country. Um, how does that process to gel look like like what's square one to build that chemistry back up after everybody's been playing apart for so long that's that's the challenge for the uh, national team coaches right get everybody on the same page and you think like oh it's just the best players uh, in the country like to just put them on the field together and they'll be fine right but you even see that in basketball right when 
you know, we've got by far the best athletes, but we go up against, we play against like Spain or some of these other countries, Argentina, and they're just so well drilled and they know how to play together, right? It's just different. You can't just throw a good athlete out there and expect like to gel with other good athletes. You know, yeah, you have some individual talent, but you know, it, it's more than that. So that's what makes this particular World Cup a little challenging because usually you've got like a month long buildup into the World Cup to play together and train together to get ready for the World Cup, play a couple games. Um, everyone was with their club teams last week. They all just got to Qatar like a few days ago. And, you know, the U.S.'s first game is on Monday, just in a, a few days. Uh, so, that's a real, real challenge um, for every club or for every country that's in, in the World Cup. And, you know, I think that that's what Greg Berhalter has been trying to um, address the past couple of years. Is, and that's why I think you see like the same guys being brought in all the time to try and create that co cohesive unit because he knew he wasn't going to have much time between, um, you know, getting the players and first game. Yeah, I think people don't realize that this isn't FIFA just opening up packs and the best players just automatically, the lines all link up and everything's lit lit up. So it's pretty cool. You can do that auto calibration thing on FIFA where it's like the algorithm spits you out. Hey, here's how you're going to get the best output. That'd be nice. Yeah, somebody get Greg that. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, you know, based off our research, is the only tie you have with this you uh, this current team is DeAndre Yeldon like that you've that Pats have overcrossed in playing? Playing with? Um, or just like at the same time? No, I played against a, a bunch of the guys that okay. are on there. Yeah, no, I've played against, you know, Tyler Adams and Walker Zimmerman and um, God, I'm, I'm blanking on most of the guys that have played in MLS. Uh, I, I've played against Christian Rodon. Um, so, no, no, a few guys. But alongside just DeAndre? Uh, I believe so, yes. Other than like all-star games um, with some of those other guys, but yeah. So it's with a fairly the, new team and it's a new, you know, it's this sure. new wave of young talent for the World Cup. What can we expect for this team, you know, coming in? I mean, they, they have obviously the draw against England, which I'm excited that it's, you know, the Black Friday matchup that – all every, everyone's eyes should be on this game, especially, you know, as the sport grows, but you also have Wales and Iran, you know, what are your early thoughts from the matchup? What can we expect? What do you see in your eyes? Yeah, a few things. One is we've got one of the youngest teams in, in the world cup. And while that's nice and great for the future, um, it's a challenge for this world cup, not having experience. That's why missing the last world cup, uh, hurts so bad that's why missing the last few olympics hurts so bad um guys don't have the experience of this big stage with the national team yeah they play big games now with their club teams but it's different to put the usa crest on and, and play at this stage uh so i'm nervously optimistic um you know the the games leading up to the world cup didn't go well um so hence hence being very nervous but you know you expect to get out of the group that said, I think that we as casual fans probably think nothing of Wales and Iran, and they're uh, good teams. I think they're both in the top 25 in the world, uh, if not top 30. So they, it's going to be a challenge, right? I, they are good teams. They are not going to be easy. Um, but uh, that said, you know, we you expect to get points from those games, at least at the minimum four points from those, those two games, or, or otherwise we're not getting out of the group. And I think the absolute minimum expectation should be to get out of the group. 
Yeah. I'm, I don't know. In, In your experience, what is the more challenging environment? Is it more where it's all those young guys and, you know, everybody's sort of, uh, they're getting their feet wet in the national environment or, you know, like, I'm, I guess I'm, my question is more of what's the difference between something like that and a bunch of guys who are vets and, you know, everybody's sort of not stuck in their own ways necessarily, but they're used to playing a certain type of the, of the game. Um, you know, does, I would imagine there are distinct differences between those two kinds of teams. Yeah. I mean, you know, their experience matters for sure. You know, it, it's, you rare, you see a team that comes together that's got a really youthful energy about them that can go for a deep run in playoffs, right? Usually you need some uh, playoff experience, right? It, it's, it's rare that a team like that hasn't made the playoffs in a long time and they make the playoffs, even if they're one of the top teams, go and win the title um you know just because it's different and you know and you think like oh professional athletes playing at the top level like wouldn't get um you know affected by the pressure it, that's not reality right we're all human beings we all feel it and you feel it less when you've been there and gone through it before and know what to expect um and so that's that's a bit of a challenge with this young team. And that's where Greg needs to um, be able to help them. And, and I think that that's where my fear is a little bit. Cause when I saw the Japan game leading up to the world game world cup, I saw a team that didn't adapt quick enough to what was going on. Right. We just didn't have success right away and we didn't adapt. And in the world cup, you don't have time to not adapt. Right. If you one bad game and you could be out of the tournament, right. We, we take a loss in that first game against Wales a very, very slim chance of getting out of the group. And so you need, you need a team to adapt. And usually some veteran guys are more willing to take that leap and and change things up mid game. To close the book on your playing career now too. I mean, you're only a couple of years out from retirement. Um, and what a way you went out with Atlanta United. I mean, MLS cup, the, the Campeones cup, and then you guys won the open cup too. Um, to have that sort of be your, your bow on your career. Um, at the age you were right just the end of your career and and winning all those titles what did that mean for you and and how important was that for for you to sort of get in your pocket of accolades uh, at the end of your career yeah it was incredible experience um all around you know first the mls cup of course was awesome because you know i had tried four times i made four finals before that uh with new england and columbus and you know lost all four and um you know, I think that it just validates the MLS career more when you win a championship rather than have just gotten there and, and been on the short end of the stick, you know, a bunch of times. Uh, so very excited about that. But even more so just to see what the game did to the community down there. You know, I think when you think of Atlanta, you don't think of a necessarily a big sports town because you have a lot of uh uh, people that are not from Atlanta living in Atlanta. So when you go to a Falcons game, or you go to a Braves game, you know, you see half the stadiums rooting for the other team. Uh, but MLS was still young enough where I think a lot of those transplants weren't rooting for an MLS team. So when we got there, everyone bought into us and the community that that was created around soccer there was unbelievable. And people packed the stadium. We'd play in front of 45,000 on a Wednesday night on a school night and people showed up because not only the product on the field was good, but they just loved the atmosphere 
the the chance the in and out in two hours the being with friends uh the throwing the beer when when we score goals and it, that is something that we are going to look to create in Rhode Island uh, you know not at 45,000 but at 10,000 um and, and bringing people together that whether they like soccer or not want to be a part of the experience uh that is important to us and and, and making sure that people feel at home and uh, connected to other people in our stadium. That's the power of sport. That's the power of soccer. And that's what we're going to do in Rhode Island. Yeah, we had the opportunity to experience uh, the home opener for Cincinnati FC earlier this year. Um, and I mean, new team, brand new stadium. And it was it was truly electric. I mean, we found ourselves wandering with the supporting crew down the streets of Cincinnati. And I mean, the drum beats, the smoke signals, the chants, it was it was truly exciting. And, you know, I, I, I'm excited to see it in Rhode Island as well. Definitely. And that's, those are the things that make soccer so unique, right? That the, the fan that's never been to a soccer game doesn't understand yet. Um, right. And so, you know, we'll, we'll have our diehard fans that will lead that, uh, those chants and those traditions and those customs um, and that energy. Um, but it's going to be the casual fan that doesn't know yet about that, that we're going to um, really suck into um, Rhode Island FC and make them crave it and want to be a part of it week in and week out. I mean, I was, uh, we were both sucked in with FC Cincinnati. It's like, okay, all of this, uh, they're chanting uh, the top of their lungs and it, it's not hundreds of people, it's thousands, right? Um, you know, and, and then a couple weeks after that too, you know, and, and you were, a, uh, you had a brief stint, um, you know, with Columbus. Um, it's, uh, how do you quantify a group of fans like rocking, singing, I can't help falling in love with crew after you win? I mean, like, yeah. that's unbelievable. Um, for and sure. that's what I think to your point shocks people about soccer in America that they don't know how passionate these fans are and how these supporters will go to bat for their teams. No, absolutely. You know, I retired at the end of 2019 and I didn't really miss it that much. I mean, 2020 was a, you know, a disaster on every front. Um, but the first time I actually miss being out there and missed uh, playing was when I went to the stadium opener here in Columbus for the Columbus crew game and the atmosphere and the buzz at that stadium was unbelievable I thought man I miss playing in front of this this is special um, and you just don't get that usually at other sports um, and so we can't wait to create that in our in our stadium because it's going to be unique to what a lot of people have experienced and uh, we're going to bring people of all genders races and ages together and make them really create an awesome atmosphere that uh, people are going to be excited about yeah that's a perfect segue into into our next part which is rhode island fc um obviously you got pretty into the ring of, of business ventures after you got out of the soccer world so um, USL coming to Rhode Island. So being a Providence guy, um, was it a no brainer move to, to, to get involved with this and to, to be a part of the ownership group? Like how did this all come to fruition here? Yeah, totally. I, I, I met Brett Johnson virtually actually through, um, a tech company that I consult with, um, helping them out with soccer 
um, you know, and talked to Brett about the teams that he owned. And we, you know, then had a side conversation about Rhode Island. And at the time, this was, this was early 2020. I didn't even, I didn't know about the project yet. And uh, he told me about it. And I was like, cool, absolutely. I want to be a project, a part of that project. The only thing I wanted to, you know, do a little homework on was who, who else was going to be a part of this project before I signed on, because I wanted to make sure that this was going to be done the right way and, you know, run the right way with the right ambitions, with the right goals and the right attitude towards on the field and off the field uh, success, um, you know, within the community and, and within the standings. And so, you know, once I verified that, got to know Brett as a human being and, and the other guys that are part of the project, it was, it was a no brainer for sure. And of course, like, I mean, the renderings of Tidewater Landing, when those released, that it, it's going to be stunning for the state, especially with the void that um, the Paw Sox left. I mean, that wasn't the nicest stadium and it's a different sport, but having a venue like this, more than just the sport and the outside, you know, revenue and entertainment that can be built from this is going to be incredible. And the initial release of the Crest and logo were a hit. You did the 39 City Stop. And I believe as of recently, there's over 2000 season ticket deposits uh, that hit on the first, you know, day or so. So can you see the excitement from the state and like, what have you heard from, you know, from your perspective? Definitely. I mean, the unveiling um, couldn't have gone any better. It was honestly an amazing 48 hours um, where the support and the response from the state and everyone within it was just incredible. It's unbelievable. We broke USL records as far as um, selling season ticket deposits. Um, the merch is flying off the shelf. Um, yeah, walking around the state, people like recognizing the, uh, the crest after one day, you know, seeing it on the news and that stuff, you know, that that's what we needed. We needed to get the word out there and get people recognizing um, and, and looking at this project from like what it's going to do to the community, how we're going to bring people together, like the what we're going to provide people with jobs and places to live outside the stadium. Um, it's It's a massive, massive project to an area that needed it. Um, and like you talked about with the Paw Sox, yeah, it's a different sport, but I, I remember going to Paw Sox games with my family and it was just a, a good time, right? You just, it, you didn't have to go all the way to Boston and, you know, we want to be able to create that in Rhode Island where it's in your back, back living room and easy access and, and an awesome time to have with the family or friends. So 2024, if all goes well, uh, Rhode Island FC will be taking the pitch. Uh, so that being said, what does 2023 look like to keep the momentum going and to, uh, you know, where do you guys go from here? Yeah, now now we build everything. Um, not not only the stadium and getting that up, but um, the franchise, right? We, we announced our, our president um, just the other day. That was a, a big signing for us. This comes with so much experience from USL, really, really highly regarded um, uh, person there in, in Brett Louie. And next we'll be on the hunt for a head coach because um, we know that the on the field success is extremely important. We want to have a winning team from day one, no doubt about it. Uh, and so that starts with getting a head coach that will, will lead the team. Uh, so I'll definitely be a big part of that, uh, search and, you know, and that I would expect in, in Q1 at the latest, um, to be announcing that, that hire, because we want to give that person a, a good year run up to get, 
get ready. Um, so that's, we want to um, continue to build in the community, build relationships, um, find sponsors and um, engage with the community and get people excited about it. Um, create um, more, even more awareness about who we are, where, where we're gonna be playing, why, why we invested in this project and, and how we're gonna make a difference on and off the field. So um, the community aspect is huge for us. We want to make sure that we connect with everyone. Um, and that includes hiring, hiring staff as well, right? We have our president, but now we need to staff out and build up for 2024. And uh, we definitely wanna have Rhode Islanders part of our staff, right? We want people that are ingrained within these communities that care about the communities, that care about the success of the team on and off the field. So there's no better way than to, to get Rhode Islanders involved. So I look at American soccer as well. Sorry, Will. Um, and I see there's so many successful franchises that once started off just with an announcement and a logo and sort of, hey, we'll figure this out as the years go on. You look at LAFC. I mean, they just took home the MLS Cup this year. Uh, this is only their fifth season, right? St. Louis City just started... Uh, their own you've got Nashville you've got Austin you've got so many more so is there anything to anything that stands out that you guys can maybe take a page of of their book being that so many other teams and clubs have done this very recently as well at different levels totally definitely you know we we actually took a trip as 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 a leadership group to to Louisville because they've got one of the newest most successful um, teams in USL we wanted to get a look at the stadium, their um, their game day uh, experience from a fan perspective, talk to their group, um, right? And, and a lot of people are willing to help and share, right? Because they, they know that, you know, what, what's good for us is good for the entirety of, of USL and for the entirety of the sport in the country. Um, so absolutely, you know, I've had conversations with people from Atlanta, you know, they were one of the most successful startups um, in MLS history. Um, so, you know, we want to learn. Um, we want to be engaging with these teams that have been there and done that and had success and what works and what doesn't. And, you know, far and away, the most common aspect is to have a grassroots uh, campaign within the community, outreach, and make sure that we hit and uh, include and, and represent all aspects and areas of Rhode Island. So how fresh are the legs? Like, could we see a Jack and Moon situation with yourself? A little, <laughs> a little player owner action? I just told you guys we want to win trophies, okay? So no. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. So with that being said, I mean, where can our listeners, you know, find out more about Rhode Island FC? You know, how can they stay engaged, obviously, with, you know, the next year ahead? And, and where can people find more information? Yeah, RhodeIslandFC.com will be the hub for all information. We're, we're up on all social media channels as well. So you can find those at RhodeIslandFC.com. Um, like I said, we're going to stay engaged. Uh, we don't want to announce this and then go dark for six months, right? We've got a lot of um, upcoming uh, announcements and, and key hirings, and uh, we want to stay front of, of mind. And um, so... Well, I'm sure we'll have some like holiday um, things going on as well to make sure that we're taking advantage of there and getting more gear out. So, um, you know, we want to stay front of mind and we'll do that. Um, but RhodeIslandFC.com will be the, the place to find all the relevant and up-to-date information. 
I'm very excited to rock the blue and yellow crest. Uh, looking forward to perusing around in this merch shop because I'm sure there's some really good stuff. Um, Michael Parkhurst, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, go USA. Let's try to take home some some favorable results in Qatar this week in the coming weeks. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk to you soon. Definitely. Thank you guys for having me on. Enjoy that Black Friday game. It's a big one. And that was just Michael Parkhurst, the MLS legend himself, the Rhode Island native, and now bringing you Rhode Island FC with a great, great uh, group of people. So we're excited to follow along. We're excited to see what the future is to come and, you know, check out the website, check out their social media to see all of the updates for Rhode Island FC in the near future. 2024, I mean, it is a long bit away, but we're excited to you know, once they announce a coach, once they start releasing, you know, images of Tidewater Landing being developed and stuff, it's going to it's going to generate a ton of buzz in the state. So we're pumped. And that's a, a big a big football episode, a big soccer episode for BVB. We don't get too many of those and uh, we probably should start doing more of it. Yeah, we'll come back throughout the World Cup. Obviously, we've got some skin of the game with the U.S., but it'll be interesting to follow uh, along. Like under your head right now, who's who's taking the World Cup? Um, I filled out a bracket yesterday. One of the brackets had Brazil. One of the brackets had France. Interesting. So Brazil is like the they are in most markets the unquestionable favorite. Favorite, here, yeah. There are a lot of good teams. France is has been great. The uh, Netherlands potentially, maybe even England can make a run. Who knows? Who knows? I, think, I mean, uh, it's. It's one of those things where it's like it it truly there's like obviously the talent level and stuff like that, but it could it could be anybody's game. You know, it really could be anybody's game. I was remembering the 2014 World Cup where it's like that was supposed to be the group of death for USA, Portugal, Germany, Ghana, us, and the US got out of it. And then they made a run against um who was the team that they played? Was it Croatia? No. 2014 world cup um the u.s oh belgium yeah belgium yes squad yeah they uh that was they almost they almost pulled the upset there as well so you you really don't know what can happen but i i think i think my final is brazil france yeah it checks out i mean the argentina too is just they're one of those that you had how do you write them off right away right i think they're actually uh vegas insider had them at plus 550 which is a few ticks off brazil at one point brazil Um, what 300 yeah 350 at one point so it's interesting stuff um it's one of those that like all you have to do it's kind of like the world series where all you have to do is get hot right that's what's happened a couple times that's how italy basically won the world cup back in yeah But I think this is like one of the first, you know, global tournaments to say the least, where it's more of an even playing field because it's, you know, the MLS just ended for, well, I guess it hinders the the U.S. more than international teams because the MLS just ended. And then, you know, they literally flew out. I mean, the championship was what, two weeks ago and they flew out right to Qatar. Um, But we're still, we're mid season. So there's a lot of teams that, you know, players are injured or they were injured rushing to train or they're still with their, you know, clubs across the country that 
I think it's more of an even playing field for majority of the teams because there's not that vigorous training period before and there's not much uh you know just gelling everything together right away it was it was a very quick turnaround because they had to uh, combat the Qatari heat not having it earlier in the year playing it now so we'll see what happens yeah yeah I'm I'm gonna try to watch as many as I can and they're they're mostly during the day too which is just fantastic like, I don't know what your stance is there, but I, I love having this on during the day because, you know, you could wake up eight, nine o'clock and just watch soccer until four. That's, that's a pretty good setup. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Especially, I mean, when they released the the schedule a few months ago saying that like USA and England, were going to be on black Friday where there's no other sporting event. Like that's good marketing. You do something yes. right there. Having everything. Yeah. In the afternoon during Thanksgiving week, that's pretty solid. You'll get more viewers. So um, obviously the tournament extends to December. So we got a lot of a lot of soccer to watch, but I think it makes total sense. I mean, today, USA, USA, Wales, two o'clock. Yeah, it'll be very exciting. I it's a good litmus for the US. It's like, all right, where are, are they? Can they actually compete for, you know, like some seriously into the playoffs like can they talk about like maybe advancing to out of the group stage or something like that or is this team done for basically uh we'll find out with wales because again wales is not a an excellent team they're a they've got a great player in gareth bale of course but it's a team you should take care of business against so good way for the u.s to stack up here um transitioning to the other football now it's everybody's favorite time of year. It's the Thanksgiving games. These are some rather large spreads we're working with. Um, we'll rapid fire through these. 12-30 game is the Bills and Lions. Bills are favored by nine. Uh, they just beat Cleveland by eight. The Lions just rinsed the Giants. I'm sorry about that. Um, that was rather interesting to watch. Uh, I did not expect that. So who do you like this game? um where is the where is it it's in detroit this is in detroit this is at ford field Mm, 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 mm. my gut says or my mind says bills minus nine but my gut says lines to cover Hmm. you know what i will do is i am probably going to take the over at 54 on this just with how much the lions have been scoring lately I kind of like it. Yeah, they I think I'm going to do two points in their last two. I'm going to do I, I like the over and I'm going to do Lions Lions plus nine. I think I'm right with you. Um, well, Three straight for the Lions now. Packers, Bears and Giants. Those are some pretty decent wins. I mean, the Lions, I mean, the Giants just blew it. And I'm not an excuse guy, but when you lose five starters to injuries, um, it's not going to bode well. Right. Yeah. And then that parlays into the next game, which is Giants Cowboys. Uh, the Cowboys are favored by eight and a half here. I I hate to say I really hate to say it, but I think the Cowboys are going to win by eight and a half. Um, the Giants are well, we just found out Wandell Robinson receiver rookie 100 yards, 100 yards uh, receiving yesterday, just tore his ACL out for the year. So oh. Um, they're going to be without him. They're going to be without Adoree Jackson, who just hurt his knee. 
They're going to be without two starting linemen. It's a short, like to lose five starters on top of already the long injury list of players, Evan Neal, Aziz, um, um, Ojolare, who else is hurt? Um, I mean, Sterling Shepard's out. Everyone's banged up. Everyone's hurt. Everyone's banged out. To then turn around and be like, you have to play on Thursday. The Cowboys are full seam ahead. I think they're going to win. So, I hate right to say Right after they just rinsed Minnesota. That was their largest. Well, Minnesota, I think, is an overrated overrated 8-1 team. Now We're going gonna to get there next, yeah. too, um, because they're playing as well. I think, to close the book of the Cowboys here, like, they proved that they – they have so many weapons and they just don't need to use all of them at any given time. Um, like Dalton Schultz, they didn't use too much after using him like every single week. Uh, Gallup, right? Like they, they were feeding CD lamb, obviously, uh, but even he didn't have really a great game. Um, they, it's just so distributed. It's like, uh, this is a team that I think they made a huge statement with Minnesota. Um, I think I'm going to take Cowboys minus eight and a half. Uh, I don't know about the over under at 44 and a half. I might have to come back to that. Um, last one is Patriots Vikings at Minnesota. Vikings are minus three. Uh, if you had set these lines two weeks ago, I think the Vikings probably would have been like minus eight. Now it's a lot more slim. How do the Vikings respond after getting their shit blown out? Yeah, I think the Vikings, it's a must win here. Um, especially because when you go toe-to-toe compared to the offenses, like the Vikings offense is miles ahead of the Patriots offense in terms of talent, in terms of just offensive production this year. So you get your your teeth kicked in. I, I say that was a hangover game from last week after um, upsetting the Bills, who are obviously Super Bowl favorites. So. I think the Vikings turn around, they win, they win big at home. The Patriots, like, you know, that was a dud game yesterday, a 10 th- 3. Besides the last two seconds where Jack Jones, you know, um, returns no, it was, the punt. It was the other Jones. There's oh, like five Jones on these teams. This is which Marcus. Jones was it? Oh, Marcus Jones. <laughs> There's Marcus a Jonathan, Jones. a Jack, and a Marcus. Marcus all on Jones. defense. Yeah. Um, and they, yeah. none of them wear the initial on the back, so it all just says Jones. It's like, what are we doing here? Just like Belichick, not saying who the coach is. You don't know which Jones it is. Um, no, but I, I was just saying that, like, obviously that was a big defensive game. I, I don't think the defense can hold the Vikings to three points like they did to the Jets. No. I, I'm actually looking at alternate spreads right now. I hate that i'm doing this but i may even like take the vikings maybe like at 10 and a half plus 255 10 and the a patriots half. suck i'm I, they are a bad offensive team they are an exceptional defensive team i think uh, matt judon's having a career year um linebackers are excellent but like their play calling is just so fucking bad they ran a they ran a jet sweep. No, what was it? They ran like a Oh, they had some atrocious play call on on third down yesterday with like 5 yards to go and in the Jets territory. It's like you have to think Patricia's head is so far up his ass and unless something changes like 
it's not the quarterback's problem. We know it now because Mac is, is fine. He's not good, but he's fine. Um, it's, it's the coach's problem and you can't fuck around with the Vikings defense. Mm. I'm sorry. They're going to be out for blood next week after, after they just got railed by Dallas. They're going to try to make some big plays and come up big, you know, like it's not, this is going to be ugly. This is what I think. <sighs> and there's no way out until Matt Patricia and Joe Judge are fired. Joe Judge. <laughs> oh, Joe Judge. Guy sucks. I feel your pain now. Like, I, I understand it. And, like, the difference is, though, it's like, you, like, he can't take the full blame. Yeah. Like, he was easy to be the giant scapegoat. The Patriots, it's like, who else is your scapegoat? Yeah, it's mostly Patricia, actually. Joe Judge, I mean, him as a head coach was just infuriating. Like, I bought into his system. I bought into his, you know, work hard, play hard mentality. And then he was just not a good head coach. No gameplay, no execution, nothing. He had everyone fooled. He had everybody fooled. It's like, oh, it's this coach that worked under Belichick. He's great. And then he goes out and does that. Belichick and, and Saban. So you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. You know? And you've got Dable in town. And it's he, like, he's it's like, like an actual good coach. The equivalent of that is like, I guess we'll be as we can include business in this. It's like, say yeah. if, you know, some accounting major just graduates school, get had an internship at EY got a job at pwc but like just because it's his dad's connections and then you're like we we, we gotta hire this guy like he has look at the names on his resume like x google x meta like this guy is definitely a stud and then he comes here and just was just like yeah i pretended the entire way yeah. that is joe judge yeah hey that's a, that's about the best comparison i've heard that is joe judge you know big big programs he has he has some rings but he was the guy in the group project that did nothing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Now I have to suffer through the pain, but at least it's a backseat. It's all good. Get rid of Patricia. Fire Patricia today. Um, That's all. That's all from us. Go USA. Uh, England takes on the Statesman at uh, 2 o'clock Eastern on Friday. No, we should probably bring up because uh, Matt St. Jean had his Big East poll um, and he also had the rankings for, uh, was it just food items? Oh, yeah. Yes, it was just Thanksgiving foods, not even sides. Yeah, I put turkey in last. Shout out, Frank. That's a hot take, though. Shout out, Frank. (sighs) I don't hate turkey. Like, I'll eat turkey, but I think just turkey's overrated. I had... I will never change from this. This is just who I am at this point after 25 years of existing on this planet. Anytime these rankings come up, because I'm pretty sure we've done them, and you actually wrote a blog like early house days on this too. A couple of years ago, yeah. Um, Mashed potatoes will always be number one for me. Every year. Mm. I'm a mashed potatoes loyalist. The tough part about that is it's like, I... And I, I, I'm not disagreeing with you. Like mashed potatoes are, are good. 
The problem is mashed potatoes are everyday food. Yeah. Mashed potatoes are everyday food. Smothered in Thanksgiving turkey gravy, though. Okay. You have to you have to preface that. And that's why gravy is number two on my list every year. You have to preface that. So I mean, like my my number one is stuffing. Yeah, stuffing's a good number one. Because it's like, when are you having stuffing outside? Like, I might, I to be completely honest, the over-under set at four and a half, I'm taking the under on times I have stuffing per year. Oh, uh, four and a half even seems high. Well, I would say Thanksgiving Day. The two days after Thanksgiving. No, that does that. And then, and then, and then the one time that doesn't count. And then the one time a year, shout out Jay's Deli, I get the pilgrim, (laughs) and there's my four stuffings. All right, that's two stuffings. I mean, the stuffing was prepared on Thanksgiving Day. (laughs) Four meals. It was prepared for Thanksgiving. You just had it two other times. I, is it a psycho move to go to Jay's Deli this week before Thanksgiving and get the Pilgrim? Um, I right now, yes, I think Damn. it is a psycho move. He's like, I gotta like, go pick up. I gotta pick up Samantha, my youngest sister from Bryant, tomorrow to head back home, and Jay's Deli's right there. And I was, I was like, that's quick and easy dinner. And I'm like, do I just get the Pilgrim? But not free ads, weird. but yes. Um. <sighs> You gotta if you really want stuffing that bad, you gotta wait till like do it like in between Thanksgiving and Christmas. I feel like if you give yourself a two week buffer and you're like, yeah, you know that stuffing hit. Like I need more stuffing, then I then I feel like that's acceptable. That's fair. That's I fair. I think there will be some questions if you go into Jay's Deli and order a Pilgrim like tomorrow. I feel like that's like the hottest time. <sighs> I don't know. I just can't wrap my head around stuffing like more <laughs> more than one meal yeah. in in a week. Yeah, you can yes, you can have the leftovers like all right. Favorite Thanksgiving leftover spread here is you take two pieces of rye bread, you toast them. Um stuffing, mm. turkey, a little bit of mashed potatoes, maybe a little like Dijon mustard or something like that. I think that's an A plus one. Some people say cranberry sauce too, but I'm not a cranberry sauce guy. Oh, I'm a big cranberry sauce person. So where did that go on your rankings? Cranberry sauce? Yes. Uh top five. Wow. Top five. I never pegged you for a cranberry sauce guy. It's the only time to do it. Now that is the only time you should have cranberry sauce. But like, I'm more of a cranberry sauce on the next, like, I don't think I eat cranberry sauce on Thanksgiving. Yeah. It's the next day. It's my, it's, you take the, you, well, now you got to get, now you're getting crazy. You have to, in addition of your Thanksgiving, buy the no free ads, but King Hawaiian rolls. This the little sliders. Yes. And you do, you do cranberry um the cranberry sauce on one end of the bun a little gravy on the other end of the bun and then you go layer of mashed potato turkey layer of stuffing bun make yeah, the sandwich get little right. sliders i would eat cranberry sauce like in that fashion for sure i'll have a little bit on thanksgiving and i'll have a little bit afterwards but nothing crazy yeah 
So that's the only, but I do like cranberry sauce. Are you a believer in um, cranberry sauce? Excuse me. Are you a believer in the fact or notion that people have that mac and cheese? No, well, oh. that too. Uh, that opens a can where I think we debated mac and cheese last yeah. year. Um, and we agreed that it probably should be a Thanksgiving side. It is. Leftovers greater than actual Thanksgiving dinner itself, yes or no? 100%. 100%. See, I like, I'm torn. I, I don't have a good answer every single year I think about this. The problem with I, the, like the problem with Thanksgiving meal is in at least in my family, you're not enjoy like the meal's not that enjoyable because like you ate a lot before with like appetizers and you're drinking and I mean again like I think turkey in its singular form is overrated. And like you can't be the guy to make a turkey sandwich, a pilgrim on Thanksgiving. Like your mom put out her nice tablecloth, her nice china, her nice silverware, and your hungover ass is making a turkey sandwich. Like shame <laughs> on you. The next That's- day is acceptable. Yeah, I agree. I, there's just something so comforting though about like sitting down, knowing you don't have to do shit all day except eat. Like everything's hot. I don't know. There's just something that gets me of like actual Thanksgiving dinner. It's a random ass holiday. It is, but it's the best because it's like, there's no stress. You don't have to buy anything for anyone. That's true. If anything, you're maybe you're like helping your parents or your family in the kitchen. You know, maybe go to the liquor store or get some wine for somebody you forgot, or you go out and make a last minute errand. It's like, you don't have to buy presents. None of this bullshit. It's just no stress eating and drinking all day and football like and this year football too. Yeah. And they're actually like, I'm actually happy with the the slate of games, even though I think they're a little lopsided, but. Yeah, this, this should be good. It's like teams that everyone knows and recognizes. Yeah. You know? Where you don't have to explain to your uncle, like why, why the, I don't know. What's a random team? Like why the Jacksonville Jaguars are playing the lions, right? Yeah. Like, no, this is the bills. It's the, it's the giants and the Cowboys, right? It's the Patriots and the Vikings, two teams. Everyone knows. What are the three teams that always play? I thought Chicago is one of those teams. No, it's two teams. It's the lions and the Cowboys that always play. And then, I knew uh, it was Sunday those night games, a wild card. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I knew it was, it was lions Cowboys, but for some reason I always thought the bears were a third team. They just so happen to play on Thanksgiving a lot. Um, Patriots are four and one on Thanksgiving, by the way. I don't know if that influences how I approach this. Um, When's the last time they played? Butt fumble in two thousand eleven. That was a that was a uh, Thanksgiving game. Wow. Yep, I remember vividly. It was a Sunday night game, and Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth were, or it was the thursday night game but advertised as sunday night football um and they were like screaming they laughed they were laughing their ass off and mark sanchez just fumbling a football off of his lineman's butt hmm. and that now mark works. sanchez is in the booth so mark sanchez was the prince that was promised yeah the so was Indian. zach wilson and he fucking sucks it's so. still early he sucks he's Don't an it. entitled piece of shit that that whole, I mean, honestly, that whole 
Um, who's in that draft class? It's it's him. That was the that was a good one. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, a little overrated. Zach Wilson, overrated. Mac well, Lawrence, I think he's a guy that like actually just needs time. Like I think Wilson sucks, and Lawrence like actually has the bones to be a good quarterback eventually. That's where I stand. So what are we ranking those quarterbacks right now? All right, let's see. So it's it's um Lawrence, Wilson, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Fields, uh Mac Jones, Ellinger and Mills. Let's see. I would say Lawrence one, Fields two. Uh, see, it's tough because Trey Lance, like, the sample size is just so low. But I guess, like, raw talent, I'd go Lance three, Mac Jones four, and then Zach Wilson five, just for first rounders. Yeah. Like, I'd say Mac Jones, like, the Mac Jones versus Zach Wilson debate is settled. Yeah. I saw all I needed to see yesterday. Like, Mac, like I said, Mac is not great. I think he's average, but he is, it's, it's, it's far, far away from the performance that Zach Wilson gave on Sunday. That is fair. That is fair. That it was two different worlds. And he goes out and says that, no, I didn't let my defense down. Are you fucking kidding me, dude? You you had two total yards of offense in the second half. The fuck you mean? It's not your problem, you know? It was the mid-off. It was the mid-off. That's a mid-off. That is the Pats were lucky to get out of there with the win because yeah. the Pats are mid too. Um, but somehow they're in the thick of a division title race. I don't know. Yeah, they because the Bills East. the Bills have slowed down, but it's odd. I don't know what's up with the Bills. But I, I see a rebound coming this week. But Lions will probably keep it close. They'll cover. Bills win. I think that's what we said at the beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. All right. Those are our Thanksgiving picks. Um, and that's talking Thanksgiving sides and all that good stuff. Uh, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Thanks for listening to episode 106. That's Will and I'm Jake. So long, everybody. Take it easy. Take it easy.